My name is Alyssa, and I'm Vanessa. And you're listening to Dear Literature, a podcast where two friends discuss books, writing, and publishing. In this bonus installment, we'll be discussing *The Come Down* by Justin Marks. For transparency, we receive copies of this book in exchange for discussing it on the pod. Thank you, Justin, for sending us copies of your book. Thank you. Before we get into this, content notes for death, addiction, drug and alcohol use, and a brief mention of child abuse. So, getting right into this book, thinking about the themes, um, Vanessa, what stood out to you? So there were some themes that really did interest me, like survivor's guilt in relation to um, the speaker's friends from high school and how a lot of them haven't survived well into adulthood. And Mark's, Marx's speaker is, I don't want to say Marx because, you know, like, it's poetry, but um, Marx's speaker... Yeah, the narrator the narrator is middle-aged and is speaking about that point in life and having lost people and what that is like and, and almost feeling guilty for moving past those life stages that their friends haven't. And that was, I don't know, that's really interesting. I haven't really read that before. Yeah, I think especially with our reading, we often don't read a lot of like middle age or older narrator not to say that middle age is old but we're usually reading these narrators who are teenagers or young adults um in their 20s so i think getting this perspective from a middle-aged narrator who's reflecting on his past as well as his present was really interesting to see yeah especially in relation to how memory can be really fickle and how he's trying to look back on his life but not even really remembering his first memories about his family or his childhood and how that can really inform the way that you look at yourself or the past is like what things are are there what things aren't and there's this line about we are all our own unreliable narrators I'm paraphrasing but it's something along those lines I was like yeah we are (laughs) yeah that's something that I always find very interesting especially when thinking about like what gets suppressed as a just like psychologically what gets suppressed as a coping mechanism just by the brain as well as trying to remember a point that is theoretically remembered collectively because we do get different um figures in this book where so we get the wife and so we get the children and thinking about how this narrator is remembering certain scenarios and I was thinking about, will these other figures remember this specific instance? Will they remember it the same? Well, that's what's interesting about writing, especially with poetry, is that it's almost capturing a specific moment that's happening in your life or in the speaker's recollection of something. Yeah, and I I think also specifically looking at this this through line of memory in here, we're also getting the theme of recovery and addiction, where we're looking how the narrator is viewing recovery as, and recovery not being a linear process, and how that plays into memory, and just how this narrator interacts with memory. Mm -hmm. We've read a number of books between us about addiction and recovery, um, like, us apart but also like us together as like readers 
and I don't see this theme coming up a lot. I feel like it's really hard to talk about the fact that recovery isn't linear. Like there's not a constant progression to sobriety or to a state of life where the speaker just feels like they've conquered everything. And that's one of the things that I I did appreciate about Marx's book is that like this is a theme that is present throughout his speaker's life like in all of the poems we see that it's really hard day to day to be dealing with addiction and there is that moment in the last poem where he says like I'm sober and you know recounting this really good day with the family but at the same time we know that's not the end of the story right because that's something that needs to be that will keep going on and there's going to be a constant struggle for that. And I think narratively what I don't want to say that like recovery is a narrative device, but how it was working within this collection, I think in relationship because this is a biographical collection, is right. like you were saying, the last poem is not the end point of this. That's a certain moment in time that Marx has constructed within this narrative of this is where, like, he as a narrator is at this moment, but there's still a future that is occurring and there's a future that is to come. So I think thinking about it as, like, this isn't, like, a final period was really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And there's... um... In that last poem, uh, the speaker's talking about how he's carrying his kids from theater, I think. Yeah, first drama club. Like, carrying them home one at a time. And then he says, you're big kids now, you can walk on your own. Which is true, but I wasn't that tired, I could have carried them further. And that's the end of the collection. And I think that theme of... not, Not necessarily regret, but just not... But like... like a a bit of disappointment even when you're doing a thing I don't know what I'm saying I think I I feel like I came across a term recently describing a nostalgia for something that is to come and I think that's sort of what's being captured at the end here of the narrator is weighing the tired in the moment versus I don't have much more time where the kids are going to ask me for right. for this specifically. And right. I think there is a lot of grappling with nostalgia for the past. Well, it's not even nostalgia for the past. It's sort of a sorrow for the past versus nostalgia for the future, I think, is what's going on. And I think something that Marx does very well in this collection is a refusal to romanticize any of this. Yeah. Yeah, something that you noted is that there is this, like what you said, exhausted restlessness. Mm -hmm. I think that is definitely a big part of, like, the emotional through line of the collection is, like, it's like trying your best and trying to get by, or the speaker's trying to get by, but there are all these obstacles in their way, including, like, how scary vulnerability is. Mm -hmm. And how it's really important in your relationships to be vulnerable. But at the same time, it feels like that is separating the speaker from what he wants. But, you know, it's it's difficult to be vulnerable for a lot of reasons. Um, I think that's one of the major themes of the collection as well. 
And I think if I was to char- characterize the narrator in this, um, the narrator is a bit frenetic, and I think that is partially in response to this refusal to be vulnerable, because we we actually don't get too much interiority of the narrator in this. And I think, narratively, that works, that totally makes sense, because, you know, I use the term exhausted restlessness, where this narrator is very tired to be grappling with all these ideas, with this sort of weight of memory. But having to keep going forward and having to keep moving and this sort of movement from one thing to the next to the next is, you know, a bit preventative from perhaps looking at all these memories in full view because they're very difficult and painful to look at. Right, for sure. I would say um, I noticed that especially in the first third of the book, Mm -hmm. I feel like for this entire collection, we're watching the speaker grapple with and sift through these emotions. And in a way, like, because a major conflict in his life is, or at least in the poems that are being discussed and the topics around which they center, um, is vulnerability. I feel like we're getting a glimpse of that thought process through this sort of, like, interrogation of like what is that why can't I do that where does that come from and like tying back to memory and and like expectations of childhood and fatherhood and what does that even mean um yeah at some points it it does feel declarative which I don't know that's also a pitfall of a style where you're you're sifting through emotions which is I feel like we see that a lot I feel like that is like one of the major ways a lot of contemporary poets are examining their issues but at the same time it's a it's a double-edged sword right mm-hmm. i thought that it's declarative was interesting because i think there is something to i think as ugh, i always quote them but i think it was something that Denise smith was saying regarding a lot of like slam poetry because it is within like a very specific frame and this isn't dissing slam because it's a great art form but how slam always has like a sort of thesis at the end of and here is my point stated again i think the declarative nature in this is sort of that where it's like this is the belief but also framing it as this is the belief and this is the thing i need to believe in order to get to the next step is how it came across to me yeah. One thing that I'm interested to see, not just in Marx's work, but in a lot of other poets as well, is what comes after that thought process, what comes after this um, like open, very public examination of emotions, like what kind of work comes after that? That's something that I I would like to see more from a lot of writers, but this collection I think is a good example of of where that could work as well. A line that caught my attention was a future that's always about to end because we were talking a bit about reflection on the past as well as what does it mean to turn towards the future. And I think this line is really interesting because it's thinking about the future as a hard stop where there is an endpoint. Of course there's an endpoint, there's death. But I think a lot of the times when like we the two of us think about the future it's still an open question 
So I was wondering what your thoughts are about this line. Um, it's interesting that that's at the beginning of the collection. It's on page nine. I've been thinking a lot about like emotional progressions in stories, not just in, in poetry, but also in fiction. And I've been thinking about it in relation to my own work as well. Is like what, how do, like how does the speaker move through their emotional world and how does it change? Because they're going through a narrative arc and that's the whole point of a poetry collection is to construct a narrative and to tell a story. And for that to be at the beginning of, of the collection, I don't know if that's some, I don't know if that thought changes by the end. I don't think that's something that the speaker overcomes and they're like, oh no, the future is limitless, you know. I feel like that really set the tone for the rest of the poems and I don't think that tone ever went away. Yeah, and we get a line later in the collection, this is on 29. If nature has taught me anything, it's ambivalence. Nature is neither cruel nor loving. It is, is. And I think it's like, I had mentioned earlier where Marx really refuses romanticism of the past, of the future. And I think stating that nature simply is really takes away the idea of fate as this sort of driving force as to what guides people. And that's not dismissing how some may interact with the idea of fate or some predetermination. But I think how this operates in this collection is really just removing any sort of external pressure onto how the narrator navigates his life because I think what we get from the narrator here is very driven by the narrator and his his actions. Mm-hmm. Again that's like a, another quote that appears like earlier than halfway through the collection, maybe like a, a third of the way through. Yeah, I don't know. These I feel like these themes continue to be present. And even when, like we said, we talked about the last poem, those thoughts don't go away. I feel like these sorts of um, absolutes persist. Even though there, I think there is a poem where the speaker's talking about how they don't believe in absolutes, right? Or am I imagining that? I don't know. Ignore me. There, well, there was that, you remember that part that was like, uh, he was quoting that one person, there's a quote early on. David Foster Wallace. Was it Wallace? Yeah, I, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Ah, okay. Everything is inevitable. I write that and realize I write too much in absolutes. You wind up becoming who you are, David Foster Wallace said, something along those lines. And then the poem continues. Uh, yeah, so I thought that was funny because it's an absolute, but the speaker doesn't want to write in absolutes. But this part of this poem comes later on. It's on page 40, 45. So I don't know if that's something that's changed. But I feel like the speaker, like the speaker is trying to reconcile this like desire to believe in possibility, but also recognizing what the past has been and what the future might be. Yeah, and we get like later on the same page, there's the line, but it takes time. This person you're waiting to become is in no rush. I'm in no rush. Right. Also, I just wanted like briefly discuss the actual 
like this collection because I think we've been talking about it in terms of poems. But it, like, what genre do you think this is? Because it's, I was reading this as a long poem. I mean, it could be. I don't feel like there's a, a, like separation between the poems. I don't feel like they're ever demarcated in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, there's no like there's no sections. It's very different from a lot of the, like poems that or poetry collections that we've read most recently, mm-hmm. because I feel like those have been very structure heavy sections, like thinking a lot about form as well. Yeah, I think the the labeling of long poem works yeah it's i guess that just came to mind because i'm currently in a workshop that is focusing on long poems right so i've 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 been reading a lot more of that um and just like thinking about like the how structurally these come together because i i genuinely don't know how people write long poems because they just like how you connect all these ideas (laughs) The trick to not write a long poem is to write a bunch of tiny poems. <laughs> That's also how you get around writing a novel. You aren't writing a novel. You're writing, you know, 300 one-page stories. There you go. That's the trick. We defeated it. <laughs> We're never going to have writer's block. Mm? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, so I think on the note of thinking about how this book is structured, like we opened this episode by talking about the themes of this, and I think using themes as a framework, because it's like as a reader, I am more like character driven opposed to plot. So it's like what I end up taking away is the emotions and like the thematic and emotional journey that a narrator will go on. So I think that thinking about how, you know, <laughs> I have to write a long poem. Um, (laughs) Thinking about the long poem as structured through theme and like reading this collection, that's a really helpful way for me to frame this. And I think if you're someone who is driven by themes and um, by like strong emotional uh, like driving forces within a narrative, this is a book for you. Yeah, I I don't know how people write long poems. I'm just so within structure all the time and like I I really need structure to be able to write anything. I struggle without it. So whenever I read a piece where things move seamlessly as though they're all one thing and like we see like not every poem is laid out on the page the same, right? Like there's like some variation in form here and there. And they're not using the same, like, devices, really. But there's still that emotional and narrative through line. And I'm I'm always trying to figure out how to do that. And I'm not sure if I got any closer to figuring out. I think that's more like you need to write a lot of poetry to be able to do that. It's like what we were talking about with um, Torn Greathouse's collection is like, how did you do that? Oh, right, you are a creative writing MFA, and you've been doing this for supposedly a long time. Um, so whenever I... And Marx has written a couple of books, yeah? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, a, a few different collections, so... Yeah, I don't know, I feel like it's really... I think it's, it's really difficult to have 
like a, a thematic jumping off point for a collection and to man- maintain it throughout and not for it to just fizzle out in the middle. Thank you for listening to this bonus installment of Dear Literature. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. This helps people find us and lets us know what you like about the pod. Thank you again to Justin Marks for sending us copies of his book. You can follow us on Instagram at DearLitPod. That's D-E-A-R-L-I-T-P-O-D. We post some content there that you won't hear us discussing here. If you've read the come down, leave a comment and let us know your thoughts. The music you heard in this episode was composed by Ben Solzinski. You can find more of his work at bgsmusic.com. The cover art for this podcast was made by our very own Vanessa. Until next time, happy reading. Bye!